I'm really excited because we have Jonah starting today, right now, the book of Jonah. I'm real excited. We, that was a quick little bumper for it, and uh, I'm really excited to be here and to go through this book with you and to open it up this morning. It's going to be great. For the next four weeks, we're going to be in this book. It'll be incredible. When I was your age, I know me and Gabby shared some kind of stories from when we were your age, but I would go on, I was the type of student that went on everything. My, my mom signed me up for everything I could do uh, with the church. And back then, it was completely separated, junior high and high school. And junior high was just seventh and eighth graders. And so we went on this trip, my last trip in eighth grade called the Last Crusade. They took us away, and we did this uh, whole retreat where we had one kind of the final hurrah before we moved on to high school. And it was like a movie. If you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Yes, we, we had a search for, like, the Holy Grail, and it was a lot of fun, and it was a blast. Well, my, my youth pastor at the time, which I'm still very close to, his name's Joe, still one of my greatest friends and my mentor, he lives in Germany now, and I got to visit with him in December, it was just great, I love him and his family. Well, back then, ministry uh, was done a little differently. You know, as, as time goes on, uh, some things uh, stick and some don't, and uh, back then, we, we, we did some things that now we won't do now. But we did a lot, as guys, we, ha- we did a lot more like uh, wrestling, like physical things like that, like not hurting each other, but, you know, being boys, right? But one thing the leaders would do to us that, again, we don't do now, but one thing we did back then when I was growing up uh, was called a pink belly. And what that is, is the leader would pull up in the, they would have a guy on the ground and their shirt, uh, they would pull up in the shirt and slap their belly till it turned pink, turned pink belly. And it hurt a lot. Uh, hurt a lot. Um, again, we don't do that anymore. But this is just these are my these are my roots. All right. Um, and so uh, Joe was kind of infamous for these, and just to pick on us. And so this is the last time we were there with him over us. And so me and the, the eighth grade guys were like, all right, we got to take him down. We got We want to embarrass our youth pastor. We want to take him down in front of everyone. And so we're like, we're going to we're going to get him. Right after he prays for the last meal, when he says amen, we're going to jump on him, take him down, and in front of everyone, give him a pink belly. In front of everyone. We're like, this is a great scheme. This is going to be the tops. We're going to go out as legends. We're going to rebel. We're going to have this rebellion. We were, I was a rebellion. I was in rebellion. (laughs) Yeah. And so, me and my friends, our, our eighth grade minds, you know, we were excited. And we said, one thing stands in the way. We have some other, if you're a, a leader in the room, we have leaders in the room, right? Um, especially the guy leaders in the room. You think they'd be loyal? Like, Nathan's loyal to me. I'm a youth pastor. You're loyal to me. You would never betray me. <laughs> no, no, Caleb, you would never betray me. Thank you. You have, my ba- you have my back. It's a term we use. All right. So we said we have to get the leaders to turn on Joe. Because he's really close with all the guy leaders, and they're stronger than us. We have to get them on our side. Otherwise, we'll jump on Joe, and they'll toss us aside like a bag of potatoes. So, all right. So, I got Chick-fil-A in my mind. Sorry. Um, So, okay. So, we, (laughs) thank you. So, we got our leaders, and for some reason, I don't know, it was a little too easy. They they turned on Joe like that. Like, I was like, wow, we expected that to be a lot harder. And uh, so, we... We, we met with them, and they were, they were down. They're like, okay, we will make sure that Joe's on the ground, and we will allow y'all to do this. And it was because one of Joe's most loyal 
loyal uh, assistants. He was also on staff. My friend Matt, uh, he, he was someone that was not going to betray Joe. And so our, when we said amen, we had the leaders tackle him, and then we took down Joe. So he said amen. We took him down in front of everyone, and we gave him a pink belly. And we all got to, you know, slap him. And so it was, uh, it was we won, um, but our victory was uh, short-lived. I will say that. It, our victory was short-lived because we did embarrass him. We assembled an army. We had a great plan of attack. We led a rebellion. Uh, we won, but we also paid dearly for that um, because Joe was a prankster, and we knew this, but we had no idea what was going to happen after. Uh, we just knew that he was a prankster and that we had won at that time. So the, the retreat goes on. We think nothing's happened, and we were kind of boasting in our, our you're right, we're, we're very prideful. Oh, yeah, we did it. We took him down. Woo! You know, eighth graders rule, you know. Um, and so we had a lot of pride uh, to us. And we had something coming. The pride comes before the fall. That's right. So what Joe had done without us knowing, we were, we were just having a blast out at our camp. Joe had assembled the guy leaders, and they had to have a heart-to-heart. They had a private meeting, and they had to repent. That We didn't know this, but they repented. I, th- I believe a song was even sung. Uh, I mean, m- people still talk about this. Historic things happened at this meeting, apparently. A treaty was signed, and <laughs> the leaders came back on the side of Joe. I mean, there's tears probably, and he forgave them. What a guy. He forgave them for betraying them. And we didn't know this was happening. And so Joe and the leaders then schemed to get us back, to get us dudes back. So this is how they did it, and it was brilliant. We were in our cabins that night, as guys, as guys do, and uh, the leaders, all, all the guy leaders walk in, and they're acting like they're still on our team. They're like, that was amazing. Yeah, you got Joe. Yeah, the pink belly ruled. And they said, guys, come closer. And they, we, they huddle us together, and they're like, Joe's going to get you back. And we said, oh, no. What's he going to do? And they said, we have information that he's going to bring a hose in here tonight and spray you all down, and you can get your stuff wet. And for some reason, that was like the worst thought ever to us (laughs) I don't know why like not our stuff not our clothes like that was the worst thing that could I don't know to this day I'm like that wouldn't have been bad either but I mean we didn't have phones that could get ruined we didn't I mean it was just us and our clothes and for some reason we were like that's the worst what are we gonna do and they said here's what we'll do we need to pack go ahead and pack up all your stuff get it all packed up in your suitcases everything except your sleeping bag in the clothes you want to sleep in. We're like, deal. So we all did that, and we're like, you know, we're jamming, and we're having fun. And they're like, okay, we're going to take all of our stuff, and we're going to hide it in a spot that he'll never find it, in this cabin in the woods. So we're like, okay, sweet. <laughs> Ignorance for on our end. And so we, uh, we like, army crawled, and we put, like, Mission Impossible music on, and we, like, got our, our, our bags, and we took them, and we, we left them in this abandoned cabin in the middle of the woods and then we snuck back and we we went to bed smiling thinking we got him again like he's going to come in here with a hose and he's going to look so silly he's going to look dumb not us because all the stuff is gone and he'll have nothing to do I mean it'll be great well you may have some ideas of what happens next but maybe not and so we go to bed and we're awoken in the morning with a loudspeaker and it's Joe in our room and he's like good morning gentlemen and so we all, 
wake up, and he says, this will teach you never to mess with me again. And we're like, what? We were very confused, you know, groggy. It's like 6 a.m. We don't know what's going on. And he says, if you want your stuff, you need to go down by the beach. And so we all race down. It's freezing. It's cold, too. We all race down. We don't have any of our stuff. So we, we race down to the beach. It's like 6 a.m. And it's light enough to see, though. The sun's slowly coming up. And we're looking around, like, the, the, uh, the lake's there and, and the, the shoreline. Where we can't see. I was like, do we bury our stuff? We're looking for turned over dirt. We're like, why would we bury our stuff? And we couldn't find it. And he says, if you're looking for your stuff, and he points out. And out about 200 yards floating off of the lake in a raft was all of our stuff. <laughs> and so they had gotten a raft and taken it out in the middle of the lake and loaded up all of our stuff. Classic, classic. So we, uh, we kind of sit like this and look at each other. And then we had some swimmers with us. And so we formed this chain link line and swam out there. Probably really dangerous they let us do that too. Anyway, um, so we swam out there and slowly drug this raft back to us. And thankfully nothing uh, got ruined and, and that. So we, we learned a lesson that day. We rebelled. We clearly were in a rebellion we did the opposite of what we were supposed to do. We betrayed our youth pastor. We embarrassed him, but he, he embarrassed us back. He got us back, and it was a great little story that can now be told in 2020 now. The end. Just kidding. Uh, so that is our, my story of rebellion, where we led this against our youth pastor. But as we're going to see in Jonah... And a really, and a story that we all know so well. I mean, even Veggie Tales has made, you know, a story about this and, and displayed it. We can do this with so many things. That means lead, uh, be in rebellion, be in disobedience to someone or something. We all do this in so many ways in our life. As I've been reading this, and I got to teach this last week to high school, that that idea of myself keeps being in rebellion somehow right now in my life. Uh, that's been kind of running around my brain and my heart of like, how, in what ways am I in rebellion? What ways am I in disobedience? And what we're going to see in the story is that disobedience leads to more disobedience, which can lead to more and more and more disobedience and rebellion. In this new series through the book of Jonah, we want you to see something. This is one of the main themes that God's love and compassion. God's love and compassion is for everyone. It's for all people. And even in our rebellion, even when I was in my rebellion, even in our disobedience right now in your life, in your rebellion somehow, God is still pursuing you. God still loves you. God is still chasing after you. We run and God chases. I'll say that again. I'll say we run and you say God chases, all right? We run and God chases. He's chasing after you. And that's true whether you believe it or not. You may choose not to believe it, but that doesn't make it false. God is chasing after you this morning, too. And our story this morning is, of course, found in Jonah. And I'm going to help you find the book because I'm going to have some of the main verses on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible. We also have some Bibles if you need to have one and take one home. That's great. I'd love for you to at least look in your Bible just so you can make your own notes if you want to. It's okay if you write in your Bible. Make some notes um, so you can read it. But we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. So we're going to have to go through, we're going to get to go through a chapter each week. And this is a story. And so one of the best things you can do, Junior Higher, the next few minutes, 
just invest yourself in the story. Just kind of have fun. Like, imagine what it would look like. Think about what Jonah was thinking. This is what we're supposed to do. And so if you turn the middle of your Bible, eventually you'll, you'll get around Psalms or Proverbs. That's great. You're just going to want to continue to turn to your right. All right? So you're, eventually you're going to find Amos and Obadiah. And then you're going to find Jonah right, right where we left you, Jonah, right there, right after Obadiah, before Micah. Uh, there you go. Good thing about books of the Bible, they don't change. They're just right there where you left them. <laughs> Tough crowd. No, uh, this is a prophetic historical narrative. I want to tell you a quick info. This is the first week. I want to tell you some of the, this is like your first day in class, some, you know, some of the, the, the beginnings. This is a historic narrative. So it's written just like a story. But like anything else, but, but unlike anything else, excuse me, this book is more about the prophet than it is the message. Because Jonah is a minor prophet. There's major prophets and minor prophets. He's one of the minor prophets. And he wrote this in 8th century BC. There's a really fun chart, which by the power, right, of the tech team, right there. And so... Jonah is up there, 8th century B.C., and we're going to see this in a second, but he was actually one of the three that were written to heathen nations, Gentile nations. And he's in the same time as Hosea, Amos, around that time. And he's a minor prophet. But he's one of the only prophets where the story is about Jonah and about what he's doing with God's message, then actually about God's message. And so... Let me give you a little series, like kind of like Jeopardy. This is called Only Prophet. And Jonah is the only prophet in a few ways. So listen to this. Jonah, for 100, only prophet who was sent to a Gentile or heathen nation. He's one of the only prophets to be sent to a Gentile nation, which is real interesting. And we're going to read about Nineveh in a second. He's also the only prophet sent from Galilee. Jonah is from Galilee. We know someone else. I think we can all think of someone else that's from Galilee that had a message. Who is it? It's the most church answer you, you've been waiting to say. It is Jesus. Yes, it is the Son of God. Jesus and Jonah are very similar. Interesting. Fascinating. Just say fascinating. Jonah, for 300, only prophet Jesus actually compared himself to directly in Matthew 12, 40. Jesus talks about Jonah because Jonah's a kind of crazy story. There's a big fish that will swallow him up. That's hard to believe. I'm just going to say it. That can be harder to believe. Yeah, and there's, there's illustration upon illustration of this. It was painted by, the next painting is famous. It's on the top of a ceiling in this church in Europe. Jonah. Jesus said, no, this was historically, yes, it happened. Yes, Jonah was a real person. And Jesus compared himself to Jonah. We'll get to that maybe in a couple of sermons from now. Lastly, Jonah is the only prophet who distinctly disobeyed God's call. That's not a good one. Now, you may say, Keats, I think there's some other prophets that disobeyed. Well, they did. They kind of, uh, there was some disobedience, but it was not as direct as Jonah's. It was not as direct as Jonas. And so we're going to kind of break this down. Chapter 1, let me show you a quick outline of the series. A quick outline of the series is this. In chapters 1 and 2, we are going to focus on the disobedience of the prophet. The disobedience of the prophet. 
and at first we're going to see Jonah runs. Jonah's going to run from God. He's going to rebel from God. Do y'all have that? Do you have the outline up there for the slide? The outline of the book? Oh, it's fine. The chapters one and two is the disobedience of the prophet, and chapters two, uh, chapters three and four. There we go. God sends in chapter one. We're about to see God's going to send Jonah, and Jonah's going to rebel. In chapter two, in the belly of the fish, God chases, and Jonah repents. I don't want to give away anything because you still need to read this for to believe it. In chapters three and four, we're going to see the obedience of the prophet. God's going to relent destruction of Nineveh, and Jonah's going to rally a little bit, little bit. Jonah rallies. And then in chapter 4, which I hope to be preaching this to you in a couple weeks, because it's very, hope I get to preach this one. It's real, real interesting. We're going to see God loves, but Jonah rages. God actually loves people. And we find out the heart of Jonah, the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh, is Jonah really doesn't care. He doesn't want the Ninevites to be saved. That's why he ran. Well, that was a lot. So hang with me in this fun story real quick in chapter one as we set this up because this is everything. So just give me a few minutes of your time. Lean into this story because I'm telling you, there is something in here for all of us this morning. I'm going to ask you at the very end, I'm just going to ask you three questions and hopefully one sticks. Hopefully one sticks. And you can be convicted where you need to be convicted. It said this. Uh, in verse 1, we're going to be in 1 through 3 first, and we're going to see, this is actually Jonah's rebellion in verses 1 through 3. Jonah's rebellion in, chap- in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And stop right there after 2. We'll get to 3 in a second. This is very simple. The whole, bo- like the whole point of this book could have been wrapped up there. This is the idea. This is the, the message, what God wants Jonah to do. Get up, arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh. Jonah means dove, if you want to write that down. What do you think of when you think of a dove? What do you think of a dove? Ooh, we'll start, okay, we'll start basics and we'll work from there. A flying bird. <laughs> that makes noise. Peace, perfect. Messenger, or like a bird, you know. You think of Noah, Noah in the ark? <laughs> Commercial. Hey, back then also, a dove could be peace. And it's actually Israel's symbol. If you, if you, because they want peace right now. If you go, you'll, when you go to Israel, you'll get magnets of all these little doves. You put them on your fridge and you're like, I went to Israel. It was awesome. Dove also means something that's really silly. And that can be kind of silly and, and disobedient. Which also fits Jonah, which means dove. God's amazing. And verse 1 and 2, we see Jonah's mission is this. You could write, if you want to write in your Bible, just write mission and say, his mission is that, arise and go to Nineveh. And his message, his message is different. It says, call out against them. Go to Nineveh and call out against them. This isn't even telling them to repent. It's just saying, hey, God is, what that means is God's aware of your sins, buddy. God's aware of what you've done. And so you can do the math. You probably need to repent. One plus one equals two, and God's mad at your sin, so you tell me what to do. Jonah was commanded to go to Nineveh. He is now, he's a foreign missionary. Some of you uh, haven't maybe gone, maybe some of you have gone on a family foreign mission trip. You've gone out of the country. That's awesome. 
you've maybe gone on a mission trip in the country. That's great. A lot of your high school siblings, uh, maybe you've gone to Trinidad with us before, or on that Romania trip we just took, and you got to kind of watch that happen. So we were foreign missionaries for a little bit. A lot of your family support our foreign missionaries. Incredible. Some of you were foreign missionaries that were here. Well, Jonah is a foreign missionary, and he's one of the only ones that God sends out to another country. Hosea was, Hosea was around the same time, but he was a home missionary. Hosea did the same message, but to Israel, actually. And one little uh, side note here. God always announces judgment before bringing judgment. God always throughout the Bible will announce judgment before raining down that judgment. Why do you think that is? What, do, what, does, that, what does that take? It starts with a P ends with Asians. Like, takes, is God patient? Why doesn't he just send the judgment and, and uh, do that to Nineveh like that? Why does he even do this? Because God wants them to repent. God wants them to repent. And where is Nineveh? Well, what does that mean? It means go north to Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city. And, and God was saying, go north to Assyria. It's in Assyria, and there's some maps here, and the tech guys can just pick whatever ones they want while I talk about it. But Jonah's message was to go north to Nineveh, a great city. Back, Nimrod founded it, by the way. It's eastern bank of the Tigris River, which was, remember, the Tigris River is one of the rivers made from the Garden of Eden. They have 100-foot walls, 50 feet thick. This was a powerful nation, powerful nation. And they were, they were feared by many people. They were feared by many people. Cruelty from the Syrians included uh, they would torture their victims. They wanted to pain and shame their victims. They loved that. And so Jonah, half, half of his brain may be thinking, yikes, I don't want them to reject me and hurt me. And that's what you've been told growing up too. And that's partially true. But they're also, we're going to see, Jonah was a little bit more concerned about the fact that they might actually repent and be saved and that he didn't want to go there as well. And Nineveh was a great city, but they were actually at this time in the middle of this around 37-year weaker spell. And this is not, no joke. This actually happened. These northern, they called them the mountain tribes that were north of Assyria. They were actually wreaking havoc on the Syrians. And the Assyrian border was getting more and more south because the mountain tribes, they called them that, were like, going more and more south, and they were, they were killing many Assyrians. And at this time, they were only a few hundred miles north of Nineveh. So Nineveh was in this kind of panic of, okay, what do we do next? Let's, uh, God, if there is a God, we need a sign. And so there's no greater moment in history for Jonah to actually go there and say, hey, God wants you to repent. I think they'd be a little bit more receptive right now because they were about to be taken over potentially by a foreign army. And yes, the Assyrians, like I said, were cruel. But despite the reputation, despite Nineveh's reputation back then, something incredible, God still considered them worthy of his message and of his grace. Despite everything the Ninevites were known for, God still declared them worthy to repent and to hear the message at least. But Jonah did not. In verse 3, Wank, wank, wank. The reason the whole book continues is because verse 3, we have, like I rebelled against Joe, 
Jonah rebels against God. And verse 3 is one of the main themes of the book, verses of the book. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He, was to, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, underlined, but he rose to flee. Some fun wordplay throughout the book. And you can, if you find more, just shout it out. <laughs> That's so funny. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. And the, so he paid the fare and went down into it, the boat, to go with him to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. This says that a couple of times. Does anyone, all right, what is the direction Jonah's going? What is the word play here? And what can we conclude? You tell me. You're the, you're the preacher. Jonah's supposed to go where? North to Nineveh. But what does the text say in verse 3? Where does he go instead? Down. He goes exact, is that exact opposite? Yeah. So instead of going up to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa. It's a fun thing. To, it's a fun to say. Say Joppa. Joppa, it's fun. I've had some iced coffee there. It's very nice. And we looked off in the distance and looked for whales. Anyway, um, when you go to Israel, you do that too. And he was going to go to Joppa. And he was going to go all the way west to where Spain is. All the way over there. Come on, Jonah. You're killing me. Jonah, you're supposed to go to Nineveh. Just obey God. But no, he goes opposite. Instead of going up to Syria, he goes down to Joppa, down into the ship. He's going down, down. Because when you run away from God, you just get lower and lower. And you, you, you distance yourself from God. It gets worse and worse and worse. Joppa was a major seaport. And so instead of going north, he goes straight south to the seaport, opposite, and away from the presence of the Lord. So this is just saying, hey, God, your prophet is clearly disobeying you. Jonah, the prophet, is clearly in disobedience. He's like I was. I was in complete rebellion to my youth pastor. Jonah is in complete rebellion. And as we'll see later, he really didn't want Nineveh to be spared. Think about the heart in that. But the same heart that's in Jonah can be in us at times as well and how we view others. And we're going to look at that later and just ask to look inward and see what's in our hearts. Well, so the prophet buys an expensive ticket for Tarsus. The Lord sends and Jonah runs. The Lord sends and Jonah runs. The Lord sends and Jonah runs. He's in rebellion. That's one through three, Jonah's rebellion. But watch this. Our prophet is in a boat now, and we're going to see in verses four through six, Jonah is completely helpless he's hopeless and helpless but he's hopeless verse four watch this but the lord the lord comes in the lord's not done with jonah he's going to chase after him but the lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty uh, storm attempt to see um, so that the ship threatened to break up that there's a lot of waves and crashing waves and it's a major 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 storm and it's threatening to actually break open and crash this boat, and they would all, uh, they would all drown. It would be very bad. So Jonah is running. They set sail into the sea, and God sends this strong wind. God is going to send this strong wind to redirect, actually stop the prophet in its tracks. He says, no, 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 you're not running away from me. And God, God's compassion runs after Jonah by way of storm, which is fascinating. Sends a storm to reroute Jonah. It's an act of grace. In 5 through 6, watch how they respond. 
the, the mariners, <laughs> there's just some of my favorite characters on the Bible. The, the, pagan, the pagan sailors are a great character study here. You're going to like them. The <laughs> then the, the, the sailors were afraid, and each of them cried out to their own God, to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship overboard to lighten the load. But Jonah, ah, Jonah, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, into the belly of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the sea captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, go call out to your God too. Perhaps he will give us um, any, any thought to us that we may not perish. So this is a scene, all right? This is a crazy scene. All the, all the sailors were crying out to their God. They're throwing their precious cargo overboard. Oh, my crackers. Oh, the, you know, all the gold, you know. Cheez-Its, I don't know. <laughs> the olive oil, who knows? We're just saying stuff now. Okay, yeah. So they were so frightened by the storm. It reminds me of the disciples on the sea when the, the storm was happening. And maybe Jesus was in the boat sleeping underneath the boat, right? Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. And so where's Jonah? Where's Jonah? Well, in the midst of a ferocious storm, Jonah is fast asleep. Have you ever been able just to fall asleep? And like in a place where it's really loud or hopefully not in class, uh, maybe you struggle with that. Hey, there's grace for you. You can do this. We'll work with you. It's going to be okay. Um, I know you're tired. Um, do you have anyone in here have the ability just to sleep when there's a lot of noise around? And you're, maybe your parents say, how, do you, how can you sleep during this? Okay, great. Thank you for your honesty. This is a safe place. Well, Jonah was actually in a deep sleep. You can say deep sleep. The, the same verbiage here is compared to when God put Adam asleep to make Eve. So I'm talking slumber, all right? I'm talking you're out of it. Have anyone, like after maybe a lock-in we throw, you go home and you're just out and anything could happen outside. An earthquake could happen and you would sleep through it. This is Jonah right now. He's fast asleep. And the irony is he's hiding in the belly of the ship. Hold on to that. He's hiding in the belly of the ship. In a deep sleep. And it took a pagan sea captain to say, hey, shouldn't you start praying to whatever God you serve? Shouldn't you be praying, you hopeless, whatever you are, person? Shouldn't you be praying? A pagan is looking at God's prophet and saying, shouldn't you talk to God? That's, that's funny to me. And he even says, arise. It's like, no, the pagan sea captain's like, God, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will help us. This is hilarious. Jonah's rebellion, one through three. Jonah's hopeless. And now Jonah, like a fish, Jonah's caught. Watch in seven through ten as Jonah's caught. In seven and eight it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, so that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they did cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Wouldn't you know it? Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? They began to cast lots. It's like a form of betting back then. And they actually, even the pagans believed that uh, some type of God had their way. It, and they believed in a lot of false gods, many gods. So we're not saying Yahweh here, but they would just cast lots, meaning some higher being would maybe make the lot fall on whoever they wanted to. All right. So there was some like 
ritual to it. There were some religious ties. But it was, it was a superstitious practice, all right? It's kind of like there's some superstitious stuff tied to our culture. This is one of them. They were casting lots, and they said, okay, whoever this falls on, it's your fault, and start talking. And a lot of people think that actually God, Yahweh, made it fall on Jonah because God's chasing after him, right? And they started interrogating Jonah, asking him questions. Do you know why they're asking him all this? What do you do? Where are you from? Because they have a lot of gods. They, they, they worship a lot of uh, many gods, these pagan sailors. Actually, a lot of religions, even right now, that they serve many gods. When we go to Trinidad, we meet a lot of uh, a lot of Hindus, and they would just explain all their gods to us, and we'd hear them out, and they would, they'd, I was on the beach with one of our bus drivers I got to know every year, and he'd be like, well, yeah, I serve their god over, over that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, um, and so the reason Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is so unique is that he's one. Our God is one. Yes, the Trinity, three and one, but we serve one God. And in the, especially in the Old Testament, when all the, a lot of the pagans would, would worship many gods, God made it clear to say, I worship, we worship one God, Yahweh. And so this is what Jonah actually does a good job to say in verse 9, but it's ironic. Jonah says, well, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 9 is a very key verse. I'm a Hebrew. And this is actually half good of Jonah to say this, but it's also, it shows the irony in that he's a hypocrite. Because he, he tells the people, well, um, I'm, yeah, I worship the God who, who's over the sea and dry land. And so what is your natural thought if you're a pagan sailor to Jonah? They're, they're looking at him and say, buddy, you're, best, you're, you're running away from God and your, your, your plan was to, take a voyage to the sea, and you say right now your God is over the sea, you think that's going to work. <laughs> so your, your best idea to run away from the God of the sea is to run away in the sea? Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a jab at Jonah. Like, are you, not, do you, are you not taking your own medicine? Do you not really worship this God? They're calling him out because Jonah is in rebellion. And there's actually this scene that these sailors, there's more fear of God in them than of Jonah. Jonah just doesn't seem to care anymore. He doesn't seem to care. He's sleeping through this. He's not praying. There's no fear of God in Jonah, which is a shame. And in verse 10, it all kind of comes together and it says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? And if you're an underliner, you can underline that phrase real quick. What is it you have done to us, Jonah? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. All the pagans look at Jonah and say, what is it you have done? That is Genesis 3. God said this to Adam and Eve that when sin came to the world. In Genesis 3, 13, God says to Adam and Eve, tell me, what is it you have done? Tell me your sins. If you want to be a counselor, you want to grow up and go to school and be a counselor, maybe that's on your heart, I love that. Do it. We're going to need more counselors every year. The world gets older anyway. But this is your main phrase. This is what all counselors are essentially doing. And God invented it. This is the counseling verse of the Bible. What is it you have done? Abraham gets asked this. Uh, all these, all of our, a lot of our patriarchs in Genesis get asked this. What is it you have done? What is it you have done? To David, what is it you have done? And now the sailors are asking God's prophet 
what, what did you do? These heathens are displaying a healthier fear of God than our minor prophet. <laughs> Something's wrong. What's so obvious to the pagans is still oblivious to Jonah. Jonah, you're failing in all aspects. Sorry, but he is. Jonah's not doing great in this story. He's running away from God clearly. He chose to go by sea, which God controls the ocean and the seas. And now the pagans are looking a little better than him. They're actually praying. They're asking him to pray. And Jonah's not having anything. And Jonah's helpless. And in verse 13, or verse 11, we're going to see that Jonah really doesn't care. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grows um, more and more crazy and, and temptress. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. That the sea will quiet down. For I know it's because of me that this has happened to you. Jonah says, I give up. Toss me into the sea. Like the cargo. Toss me overboard. And don't throw a life jacket in. This is crazy. Y'all see what he's doing? Rather, be, rather than becoming... Jonah, rather than becoming God's instrument for salvation, Jonah became an instrument for destruction. And he says, just toss me into the sea. He's giving up. He'd rather have death. Jonah would rather have death. Jonah would rather have death than be obedient to God. He chose death. This was what he was doing. He was saying, I'm going to die in the ocean. I mean, there's no hope. Y'all hear me right there? Thank you. Jonah was choosing death over obedience to God. This is a big deal. We're at the we're at the chapter in the story, and we can't even we can't even get through the first chapter. In verse thirteen, watch what they say. Nevertheless, the men rode even harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew uh, more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, "O Lord, let us not perish." For this man's life, and lay not on his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it's pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The sailors in verse 13, they tried to spare Jonah. They tried to spare Jonah by going to dry land and giving him like an island. They're going to say, all right, Jonah, you just take this island. But the, the sea was too crazy and powerful so they tossed Jonah overboard. They tossed him overboard. They said, see you later, Jonah, and hurled him into the sea. And immediately became calm. The sea quieted down, just like when Jesus said, why are you afraid of this? And Jesus calmed the storm. But Jonah went into the sea and the stopped from raging. And watch what happens to our amazing characters. Some of my favorite kind of side characters in the Bible that kind of foil, you all know that term, they foil Jonah's character in the last verse today, verse 16. Then the, mere, the men, the sailors, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They feared the Lord exceedingly. We don't know if they actually became Christians. We can assume that maybe some of them did, maybe some of them didn't, or they had this moment where they at least reflected and say, who is this God, Yahweh? Who is it? But the sailors saw that Yahweh really did control the sea because Jonah's in the sea and the sea stopped. And they feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifices. They, made, they worshiped God. They had an appropriate response that Jonah did not have. And Jonah's now in the sea, maybe sinking and trying to swim. 
and they built an altar to the Lord, and, and now that, that part of the story is over. You know, the mission, the mission was clear for Jonah. The mission was clear. Go to Nineveh. But Jonah chose straight disobedience. God sent and Jonah rebelled. He was in this rebellion to God. And I want to ask you these three questions to end before we have worship. There's going to be three questions on the board. And I just want you to think about some of these as we begin uh, to go into worship. And some of these are kind of heavy questions. But I ask them to you because I care. It's not because I don't care. And I want you to see, I want you to take away more from this story than just what we got to experience here. I want you to, to be wrestling through this this next week. And number one is this. How are you currently in rebellion? How are you in rebellion? Is there a clear area of disobedience in your life to God right now? This, this one kind of hurts and it's a punch in the gut, I like to say. Is there, something that, is there something that you know you need to be doing that you're not doing currently? You know it. It's so clear, but you're, you're choosing not to. Maybe you think about the question in this way. How are you running away from God right now? Is there an area of your life where you're clearly running the opposite direction from God? Maybe some of you are so tired from running from God and his love. You've just been running away from it your whole life. You come to church, you go through the routine, but you kind of close down your heart to anything that would be more. Is there something so clearly God's putting on your heart, but you just want to avoid, just like Jonah? I don't know, there's, there's an area, all of us have rebellion in our hearts to some degree. You just need to pray and ask that the Spirit could bring it out a little bit more. Number two, are you just going through the motions? Just because we go through the the motions of following God does not mean our hearts are aligned with his. Just because we do the routine, we, we come to church, we carry our Bibles in even, just because we go through some of these motions does not mean our hearts into it. As you can see with Jonah, that's not the case. Jonah's heart is clearly not aligned with God's in this at all. Even if he does choose to, uh, to obey and physically go to Nineveh later, there's something going on in Jonah's heart, we call that attitude, his motives. Something's off. It's not aligned with God. And God wanted, God wanted Jonah's actions and his heart. God wanted all of Jonah. And God wants all of you. He wants your actions and your heart. Yeah, he, he loves it that you want to read God's word, but why do you want to seek God and read his word? Yeah, he, he, he loves that you're going on that mission trip, but why are you going on that mission trip? Or yeah, he loves that you're, you're trying to lead your classmates in a Bible study. But even that, that that's great. But why do you want to do that? Is it so they'll all look at you and say, wow, you're, you know your Bible so well. Or is it like, no, I just want to serve God. Are you going through the motions? And aligning our desires with God's is a process, my friends. So it's a long process that takes you way into your adult years. And one of my favorite verses, I don't know if I've ever shared, Psalm 37, 4. I learned about this when I was going off to college. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, if you wake up every day and say, I want to delight myself in the Lord, it's a promise that he'll give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the right desires to have, and you can walk in his will. Pray that your heart can be all in, not just your actions. We go through routine so much. 
Lastly, is there a group of people, this is a big one, and we're going to be asking this kind of every week because this is part of Jonah's problem. Is there a group of people you simply dislike or it's harder for you to love? I know that's kind of blunt, but it's for a reason. Maybe think, this is a practice, and we're going to have, um, if Jack wants to make his way up, if he's in here slowly, think of someone or maybe a group of people that at school you, you dislike or it's harder to love. Maybe you've already written them off in your head. Maybe, maybe you wrote them off. You've said, no hope to them. Nah, they're too far gone. No, no, we don't eat at that lunch table. We eat over here. Or I, I would never, I would never talk to them. They would just make fun of me and do, say something inappropriate or whatever. I don't talk to them peeps. They're, they're, they're crazy. There's no hope for them. Or maybe it's something even worse. Maybe you dislike them so much. You're like, I don't even want them to be happy. I don't even want to see them succeed. I want to avoid them like the plague. I'm gone. Maybe there, there, maybe there is something or someone. There's someone that you dislike or you have trouble loving. There's someone in your life maybe that God's put around you and, and you have, it takes a lot of patience for you to be around them. And they test your patience. They test your patience and it's really hard to really love them. I don't know who that is, but think about that and take that before the Lord and ask him to soften your heart. Ask him to slowly soften your heart that you would be able to love them. Even if they were to make fun of you, that you would show grace. You know, even in the midst of his rebellion, God is still going to use Jonah to bring about good. If you keep coming back, you're going to see it. God's going to use Jonah. Jonah's in the ocean right now, all right? So he's not doing great. He's drowning. So Jonah's drowning, and he's God's prophet. So what do we got to work with here? Well, be encouraged, because even in our rebellion, God is still using us. He's still chasing us. He still loves us. And next week, Jonah's running is going to get interrupted by God. And this is the verse we're going to start with next week. Ready? And I'll pray. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So come back if you want to know what it's like to be inside of a fish. All right, I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for these junior hires and for this amazing day. Thank you for the story of Jonah and that it's true. We can take it as truth, not only because it's in your word, because, because your son Jesus said so. He said Jonah was a historic person. This actually happened. And we look to Jonah in the story and we say, what can we take away from this? Well, there's rebellion in all of us. There's clear rebellion in all of us somewhere to some degree. There's an aspect of our life, there's something in our life that you're telling us to do something and we're doing the exact opposite. I ask that you could make that apparent to all the junior hires here. You could use us in a mighty way. You would change us. Let them have an amazing week and hopefully we can see them Wednesday. Please just use this time of worship for your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen.